Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Monica, daughter of Persephone. This week, we're discussing chapters 31 through 35 of The Tower of Nero. This is episode 120. Isn't that that's insane? Feels, that's crazy. But also, I feel like we've done way more at the same time. I know. <laughs> I'm we've been doing this forever. Million. We have done 5 million episodes. Well, it's wild, someone, too, that it's like, this is the 15th book we've done. I know. That's, that is crazy. Yeah. Don't stop. Won't stop. Can't stop. <laughs> But it's more like if someone has, if you are now caught up and you've been following along with us, over 120 hours of our voice has been living in your brains. We're so sorry. We will not be paying for the future therapist. Yeah. And like three years worth of our voice. Like it's me when I was, I don't know, 2020, early 2021, Erin. I don't know what her ideas were. I don't know what she said. But that is forever cemented online now. What are you talking about? You were like 24. Yeah, I, my brain was not developed yet. 25 <laughs> is when it stopped. I started getting dumber. It, just, it, it was done. 24-year-old Erin, you know, like she was, she was wild. <laughs> Crazy. To be fair, we were coming. No, we were in like the, the middle of the pandemic at yeah, that point. Too. Vaccines weren't even a thing yet. When we no, started, they weren't. I think I yeah. got I got my first vaccine like our first month of yeah recording. That's crazy. Wow. <sighs> Look how far we've come. Look at how far as a society we've come. So far, mm. everything is so bright and wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, something you might have noticed when I was talking about what chapters we're discussing is that we're only doing five chapters because we have an uneven amount and instead of just doing three chapters for the last one we decided to add an extra like the last four chapters are good wrap-up chapters yeah i think and this is like a good place to end it so and there's a lot that happens in these five chapters like it's the final showdown we defeat not one but two villains in this episode alone yeah yeah There's so much that happens. I was also just looking at my book and I realized on the back of the book, all of the like reviews are by the gods. Oh, really? Like, it's just like, time to yank that stinkweed Nero. Ares, god of war, is like the quote on the back. Oh. And what I miss, Dionysus, god of wine, dot, 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 Zeus, king of the gods. I didn't notice that. This does kind of get into, like, what I was talking about earlier. Is like, Rick is very... I said Rick was in his Taylor Swift era when he posted Mm -hmm. that clock and was like, who knows what this means? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think he's actually always been in his Taylor Swift era. I think so. He did go to the Eras tour this summer, so I think that he's a Swifty. That makes sense. They're the same brain sometimes, it feels. 
Oh, also in Percy Jackson news, the strike ended, which like, I guess it'll have been like a week or two weeks ago by the time people listen to this, but it's like a few days ago when we're recording this. So we can actually talk about the trailer and everything, which is great. I'm so excited. The yeah. trailer looks great. That's my feedback. <laughs> yeah, that's my feedback too. I'm so... Also, um, I was sent a TikTok that basically broke down the budget and they're spending something like what was it? $30 million per episode. I don't even production. have a concept of that. I don't even know what that, I have no concept of how much money that is, you know? So, so if you guys watch the like, Mandalorian, wow. the first two seasons of the Mandalorian, which are by far the, I, I personally believe are the best seasons mm-hmm. where that was the money that was funneled into it. And it was beautiful set design. You could tell that they put money, thought and effort. And then they moved on to like, they're just like kind of like a green screen, whatever. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of the production value we're getting. So the special effects, the costumes, everything is going to be wonderful to look at. I think even if, you know, have any disappointing features, being able to experience going to camp in like a high yeah. production value setting will be really fun. And they actually have the camp shirts. You know, like the bare minimum the movie didn't even do. So I know it's going to be great. And even if, I mean, I always go into adaptations, like it's just another form of the thing that I enjoy. Obviously, there have been ones that have like ruined the thing I enjoy and Mm -hmm. then it's not enjoyable. But, you know, when they make changes and it's little things, I can be like, oh, I preferred the book or, oh, I preferred the show or the movie. But I'm not the kind of person that gets like super hung up on it. it well actually i am sometimes with certain that, that's really bold of me to say because there have been certain things that i am like i will take to my grave about fictional characters and adaptations that we don't need to go into but um i think overall i can be chill about it <laughs> can you be chill about anything i think that's why um, we um exist as no doing this podcast for 120 episodes Neither of us can be chill about anything. Yeah, that's very true. I don't think I've, anything I've ever loved, I've never loved a normal, I guess, but you know, (laughs) what is normal? I feel like I'm having a debate with myself today. I just (laughs) responding to my own comments, but anything I've ever loved, I've loved a huge amount. And I'm trying to like that about myself now because I feel like I used to get made fun of for being obsessive and being like the weird nerd girl and now I'm like you know what I have more fun than all of you except I don't because I have anxiety but (laughs) (laughs) this is going so well I think you should keep talking (laughs) I think I should too it's because I had cheese puffs for lunch (laughs) and caffeine like that was your meal of the day it's my meal of choice. <laughs> Anyways. Should not choose you. Anyway. Are you excited for the adaptation? <laughs> I am so excited. I think that I take um, books to movies similarly as well. And usually I tend to get inspired one way or the other. Like if a movie's coming out and I liked the movie, I tend to really want to read the book. And I do. Yeah. And I like to see the differences. And vice versa. I know a lot of people feel like once they've seen the movie, they've seen one form of the media they don't want to go back and read the book mm-hmm. but I have never felt that I've always felt it more excited especially if I'm like oh more of a thing that I love in a different way for me to consume it is ideal I will say that obviously famously um we all were upset the only time I've been like truly 
two times I've been truly <laughs> deeply upset about an adaptation. And that was the first time was obviously the Percy Jackson that yes. Jackson Sea of Monsters movie, which you and I yes. watched in theaters. Horrifying. So bad. So, so bad. bad. Um, the second time was the Firefly Lane Girls, which is now a Netflix oh, TV show. I, and you, I watched uh, the first episode or so, and I just wasn't into it. Because they changed such important factors yeah. about the book that made it beautiful. And I mean, you're the one who made me read the book. Maybe yeah. you gave me the book to I read. Forced and I you. Really I tied you it. down and I forced you to read it. <laughs> And I was so excited for the TV show because I thought it was such an interesting concept and what a beautiful form of, like, love that mm-hmm. Kristen Hanna puts out there. And I was, I couldn't. I watched, like, two episodes or three episodes. I know a lot of people like it. So, yeah. and, like, as a standalone, they like the show, not knowing anything about the book. But that was one thing that I, they took something that I loved and they ruined it. Yeah. Yeah, Aragon also. Oh my god, I forgot about Aragon. I was so Aragon. I could I can't forget Aragon. Like to be fair like, though, Aragon really chill about <laughs> movie adaptations. The and then I'm like, I actually loathe all of these ones. <laughs> I have Aragon to was raw. Yeah. To be fair though, Aragon as a series kind of stabbed itself in the foot. So mm-hmm. I kind of forget about it as a concept, <laughs> kind of like Divergent, where it's just mm. kind of like, oh, this is how you're choosing to end the series or continue yeah. the series, I guess. Yeah. But Percy Jackson, <laughs> none of those problems. Yeah. They're going to nail problems. it. I'm, I'm going to so have excited. fun. I'm going to have fun watching it, regardless of if I agree with any of the changes, because like, who am I, you know? Yeah. And I think having Rick, like Rick's approval and the fact that it's getting the time and mm-hmm. I don't know, like the people money. are paying attention. Yeah, and the money and people are paying attention to how much we care about it being good means mm-hmm. a lot. So yeah, I'm very there excited. Are, there are particular things that I will riot. Not actually, but like if they're changed, if they get rid of jealous Annabeth. In the fourth book, if they get to the fourth season, the Rachel Annabeth stuff, I will be so sad. I thought it's my favorite part of Annabeth's character is that she's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I hope they keep it in. Yeah, screw Ugh. feminism. I well, that's <laughs> women think it's about being fifteen. Over yeah. man. Ugh. Um, I think it's actually anyway. women being 15. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, so sorry. I am sorry. But uh, another thing that I probably will be um, not chill about is mm. they're making a live action version of the Avatar The Last Airbender mm. series. Mm-hmm. So I love Avatar The Last Airbender like a normal amount. I would say a normal healthy amount. I do. Do you? Okay. <laughs> a really like, normal, what a normal sane chill. person loves a children's cartoon um that is that is probably where i lie um so Mm -hmm. this live action adaptation had the creators walking away from it but they dropped a trailer for that and it looks really good so it does look good yeah i want to know what the what happened what's the tea Hmm. me too anyway back to back to percy jackson sorry back to apollo yeah so we're going to get the final scenes with Nero and Python, and we're going to go over the edge of chaos in mm-hmm. an epic battle this episode. So great. So exciting. Okay. 
I have chapters 31 through 33. So chapter 31, Godly Tug of War, not recommended for kids or Lester's either. I kind of forgot when I started reading this, I forgot that they were like mid battle in the last chapter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is going on? But uh, as we recall, Nero at the end of the last chapter, like yelled at his people to all charge Apollo, even though they all are like beating Nero at this point. Um, upon seeing a dozen Germani charging at him, Apollo turns to run. He knows he needs to go destroy the Fasces because they have that now, and he doesn't want to allow anyone else to take the risk. He turns to Rachel and asks her to give him the Fasces. I feel like I can't say that word ever, but that's okay. We have, like, each had, like, three different pronunciations of it. That's I think true. we can just say whatever we want at this point. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> And just holding the Fasces makes him feel worse. It's really heavy. It kind of seems to hum, almost like it's alive or has, like... It, I mean, it contains Nero's power. And it makes him start bleeding again from his wounds as he's holding it. So it's very intense. He asks Lou and Rachel to cover him as Germani get past the barrier of trogs that are all fighting them and rush towards him. He tries to pry the Fasces apart. Like, he's just like, I'm going to rip it apart. Doesn't work, obviously. With he my tries bare to, hands. I know. He's like, I'm just going to punch it. Like, <laughs> I love that instinct to just like, he's like, we got to fight this object. We're just going to punch it. This is going to yeah. work. No. He then tries to break it over his knee. Also doesn't work. Nero is, meanwhile, getting really angry at his troops for not having killed everyone yet. And because people are fighting back. He sees Nero begin to glow like the sun, and it gives him a thought. Nero's whole thing was that he always wanted to replace Apollo as the new sun god, and because he believes he'd make a better deity. So Apollo just charges at Nero. Nero is like, give me my Fasces back, and Apollo's like, no. And then Apollo begins to glow too. He like channels some of his godly power. Nero grabs a handle of the axe and they play tug of war. And it just makes me think like they're siblings with a wishbone on Thanksgiving, which is maybe a very American reference, but they're like pulling the bone apart. Mm -hmm. um, as the glow of the Fasces burns brighter and brighter, Apollo yells at Nero and says, I am Apollo, god of the sun, and I revoke your dignity. And like, I guess that just works because the Fasces breaks in half and explodes into flames. Nero falls back on the carpet, his clothes smoldering, and he's sobbing. He then crumbles and disintegrates, and his last words are, you've given him victory. But Apollo, he knows Nero disintegrating doesn't mean any of this is over, because there's still Python. Then he collapses into Rachel's arms. He dreams of himself in the throne room in Mount Olympus. His family's all gathered around watching a holographic live stream, basically, of the events at the Tower of Nero. And they're all betting on the outcome and know that there is a final battle still coming. Artemis is there, like, sticking up for Apollo, saying, hasn't he already proven himself? Like, why do we have to keep doing this? But Zeus doesn't care. He says that Apollo must see it out for all of their sakes. So again, he's sort of like... I mean, Apollo's essentially a demigod right now and doing the gods' work for them and finishing this quest because they also want Python dead. Yeah. He notices that Hera is there, but she's in the back of the room with a dark veil and is looking very like she's in mourning. She then starts speaking and she tells them to stop fighting and that this has gone all on too long and there's been too much loss. She's clearly really mad at Zeus. She doesn't normally speak up to him and speak against him. 
for allowing this to continue. Because as we recall, she was a big fan of Jason. She was maybe Jason's only big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she, like, Jason was, like, named off, like, in, or she got to choose his name and stuff. um, And it was in The Lost Hero, I think, all of that background. And then Apollo wakes up. If it was Annabeth who had died, Hera would have had a party. There would have been brunch. <laughs> a pinata would have been there. She would have been so happy. Face. Yeah. I forgot how much she hates Annabeth. Oh, yeah. Oh, also, me just jumping back on the Jason hate train once it's been like two Immediately, books since his death. I'm like, I'm You've allowed dead. me to mourn. Yeah. yeah. You let me mourn. You've made me feel bad about hating him. Yeah. And then you're and back I'm, on it. I'm ready. <laughs> oh. So chapter 32. The final push, fam. Not throwing away my shot. Wait, where is my shot? Is this a Hamilton reference, Rick? Probably. This is peak. This was written peak Hamilton era. What was that, 2014? I don't know. No, this was written much after. I think this was like 2020, honestly. Oh, Jesus. Does it even say in here? It usually says in here. This is 2020. A 2020 book. So. It was a little after the Hamilton era. But that's probably when it got to Rick, you know, when it came on Disney+. (laughs) Plus. Yeah. Yeah. So Apollo wakes up and knows he has to leave, even if he's not in great shape. Rachel confirms that he must go. She can feel Python growing stronger. He asks the others for some nectar and more supplies, and they gather his weapons, including his ukulele. I had in my notes that Nico makes a comment as they're, like, giving him the ukulele. He's like, do we really hate Python that much? It's like, he's mm-hmm. us right now. <laughs> also, good for him for being so injured, looking fabulous, and still managing to be funny. Right? He's saying mm-hmm. what we've all been thinking about the ukulele. Mm-hmm. We've been begging Apollo to stop. I know. <laughs> in the commotion, Apollo is left with Meg alone for a moment He tells her how proud of her he is, and she says she did it all for her siblings. She works on healing his wounds with some ointment while he reflects on the fact that her courage and bravery are not because of the abuse that she endured, but in spite of it. She chose to defy Nero to show her foster siblings that there's another way. But he also reflects on the fact that the Imperial demigods have endured so much abuse, and there's no guarantee that they'll respond the same way Meg does. He he really has some deep comments about like the cycle of like generational abuse and trauma, which is very it's a, he has a very mature perspective on it, where he's like, I don't know that they'll all be able to come back from the darkness, and like I wouldn't hold that against them if they struggled with that. But he which hopes is fair that they do. Too. Because Mm -hmm. he's experienced, I mean, being immortal, I'm sure he's seen cycles and cycles of it. And it's seen in his own, you know, Olympian home as well. So he's a good person to comment. But Mm -hmm. he is also someone who has definitely caused, been the root cause of some generational trauma as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it does show his character growth because as a god, he wouldn't have given a shit about, like, the trauma of little measly humans. And now he's not only understanding it, but thinking like that it's hard to break those cycles and that, you know, if they can't break those cycles, it doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're bad people, which is an interesting perspective that he now has that he did not have it back in book one. 
but he thinks to himself that he really hopes that they are able to break the cycle in the same way that Meg did, and Meg continues to. He tells Meg that he has to go and face Python alone, and she knows this, even though she doesn't want him to, but she says she's just gonna have to trust that he can. He promises that he'll find her afterwards, assuming he doesn't die, and she tells him, just come back to me, dummy, that's an order. And then she hugs him and goes to check on her former siblings. It's a very sweet, like, goodbye moment between the two of them that's very in character. Yeah, it's not drawn out or uncharacteristically Mm -hmm. emotional for Meg. Yeah. Where she's, Mm -hmm. like, on her knees sobbing, like, oh my god, come back, Apollo. It's, like, very much... Matter of fact, I liked it. It also shows, like, I like when he takes a moment to step back and see how she's grown in the last six months. Because when you're 12, Mm -hmm. when you're honestly under the age of 18, every six months you completely change your face. Everything about you changes in six months because time is, like... That's true. So he's witnessing that firsthand of, like, 12 to 13. Like, she's, she's grown a lot. She's also been through a lot and now, you know, experienced family and peace for the first time in her life yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah he does have a moment where he's like she's matured so much in these months that i've known her and it's so sweet it's very sweet so then apollo begins to head out he passes by all his other friends and family and children they all seem to know and understand that he must act alone he finds the stairwell in the tower that he'd seen in the visions of himself falling to Delphi and descends. He finds, like, Python and Nero's little love tunnel. It's just, like, right in the tower, which is funny. He, As he gets lower and lower, the smell of smoke and sulfur grows stronger, and it eventually turns into a passageway, or tunnel, that shrinks until he has to crawl. And I was just laughing really hard at the image of Nero having to crawl through his little love tunnel to go see his buddy Snake. Like, he's, like, on his hands and knees with his little chessboard to go play with Python. <laughs> and you know that he's, like, he's bigger than Lester is. Like, yeah. quite. He's a grown man. And so yeah. I'm sure it was a tight squeeze. He couldn't think of, like, widening the tunnels. He has the resources. No, he doesn't have the trogs. They're the tunnel guys. Maybe he dug it himself, his love tunnel. (laughs) A little, like, sandcastle shovel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's like, to get to my friend, Python. Yeah, we can play chess. Yeah. Uh, Apollo knows he's reached Delphi eventually by the smell and the feeling he has. He emerges and he's like, "Eh, it's some magic labyrinth tunnel way that I'm suddenly here. Doesn't really elaborate. He emerges into an enormous cavern, the lair of Python. The last time he fought Python, he had lured him out into the fresh air under the sun, but now he's in Python's territory. He spies the monster, who is roughly the size of a dozen cargo trucks, which is quite large. His form, Python's form, shifts and changes around him. He will randomly sprout feet or wings or extra heads. So I guess he doesn't always have legs. It's a choice he makes when he wants them. He's, he, he grows little hands to play chess. They're little, they have thumbs and they grow out of his little body. They like pop out. He's like, hold on a second. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny for it's me. It's really funny. He's like, he gives himself a little makeover every day. I know. But Apollo says he basically can change into a combination of like any reptile ever. So I guess 
like that's why some reptiles have hands and he can I guess I don't know of any reptiles with more than one head though I think that's a python thing Apollo also Pi- is like and oh like python the 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 monster not like python the actual snake no okay wait sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> the monster python capital p they, capital p yeah Apollo also comments, he's like, he's hideous, too. (laughs) He's like, and he's ugly. (laughs) (laughs) He maneuvers his bow into his hands and aims for Python's head and shoots. Chapter 33. Seriously, guys, I know my shot was right here. Help me look for it. So he misses, of course. He actually Mm -hmm. misses by quite a bit. The arrow shatters on the rocks a few feet from Python and Python looks up and sees him. Python announces that he hasn't quite finished digesting Nero's power. He's like, I'm in the middle of a meal right now, um, but I guess this is fine. I'll come back to this later. He has to go for his hot girl um, digestion walk afterwards. Yeah, he does. With his legs. <laughs> he can With do his that. legs. His little He can fl- a hot girl fly. Mm, mm. At a whole new level. Apollo continues to fire arrows at Python, which angers Python. In the midst of this, Python randomly is like, what's that? I hear Delphi. He like cocks his head, which is a very funny image. And then he's surrounded by green fumes and begins to speak a prophecy. He says, Apollo will fall, but Apollo interrupts it, which pisses Python off more. He's like, you cannot interrupt a prophecy. That is against code. And then he barrels toward Apollo. Apollo is only really kept alive by the fact that he's small and can dodge this giant snake. In the chaos, however, Apollo's bow tumbles into the void. His bow was his best weapon, and now the only arrow he has left in his quiver is our pal, the arrow of Dodona, as we recall, has a tragic backstory. <laughs> the stick with the tragic backstory. Mm, the necessary arrow. for the plot. It was. It was. <laughs> it gave us feeling for this arrow. He has depth now. He has depth. The arrow asks how they're doing and says, when Apollo tells him, he says, Twid seem tis almost time. Which Apollo is like, what are you talking about? And Python bellows, you can't hide. You are no god. Which empowers Apollo, actually. He thinks to himself, no, I'm not a god, but I'm also not a mortal. He's something in between. And so he begins to use that thought to allow him to shift back and forth between God and mortal. And pulses of light flicker under his skin, his godly state returning to him for moments. He tells Python that he won't hide and cower, and then he charges with his ukulele and smashes it against Python's head. R.I.P. to the ukulele for the second time. Hilarious that he didn't, like, they packed him the ukulele, being like, this is a magic musical instrument and he uses it to smash it's so Python. good i love that i think that's the proper use in the sound yeah, only use yeah mm-hmm. i actually love the way a ukulele sounds to be honest just apollo sometimes needs to cool it so he smashes the ukulele python then grabs apollo with his tail and wraps his coil around apollo's waist but apollo squirms and fights back He has a moment where he starts to feel sleepy, like the way that snakes squeeze their victims to try and make them lose consciousness. Um, But he thinks of Meg and all the people that he's fighting for and 
fights back. And Python says, we have reached the end, you and I, and squeezes so hard that Apollo's ribs begin to crack. Okay, let me see what my notes are. Um, oh, I did <laughs> wrote that I struggled with the battle scene in the first chapter that I did because I realized I was like, battle scenes I only enjoy if there's either dialogue or people kiss in the middle of it. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of Pirates of the Caribbean again, aren't I? But they're like, when it's just battle, my brain does not, like, I don't visualize it. I'm like, where is the kissing? And where is the funny banter? That's how people battle. Well, also, I feel like my brain starts skimming if it's too yeah, much same. just action, which is not good. I mean, mm-hmm. but it's also like I'm trying to build this scene in my head. And if one thing is out of place than how I picture it, it's like the entire picture dissolves. And I'm like, well, now I can't picture it. So I just just say we fought and move on. <laughs> Honestly, it's a proper way to write. Um, I think I did all my other notes, honestly, throughout. I thought Apollo's comments on generational abuse were very deep. And that feels like the through line of this whole series that yeah. they're trying to get at is like these systems and families that are abusive, like, can the cycle be broken? And Meg is proof here that it can. I think that's what was, I mean, we'll get into this when we do our final wrap-up of the book next episode, but I think that's what made this series so much stronger than mm-hmm. The Heroes of Olympus, is Percy Jackson also had, a like, a through-line thesis, yeah. almost, of, like, um... <laughs> what was that about? Let me think I about mean, it for a moment. I would say like about the pe- like people in power and abusive yeah. systems and, and like because you know Luke part of his comments were right but he didn't go about it in a very kind way. Yeah, nuance and also the fact yeah. that just because there's no such thing as like truly bad or truly good. There are like mm-hmm. manipulations on both sides, and yeah. just at the end of the day, have to choose the side that is less bad. Yes, and then you have that in a. In Trials of Apollo here, like, it's about, like, generational trauma and, like, how you overcome um, prophecies that are set for you. And then you have Heroes of Olympus, and it's just, like, whoa, a big question mark. Like, what was what was the thesis? Fight back against Mother Earth. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, that was, like, I love so many of the little moments in Heroes of Olympus and scenes, but the overall message, I'm like, I don't know what this was trying to tell me to do (laughs) to fight against the earth and sing to it. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, I have chapters 34 and 35. Chapter 34. Found my shot, took it, forgot I was tied to it, down I go, bye-bye. So instead of going limp in Python's grip, Apollo fights back with everything he's got left. But Python watches him closely and just continues to enjoy cracking his ribs. The arrow, our buddy, speaks to him, telling him that the time has finally come. It tells him that Python's prophecy of Apollo's fall is correct, but first he needs to use the arrow. Apollo is torn at what the arrow is saying. He's tired of using people, and oh, he always brings any any chance to bring up Jason Grace, Apollo yeah. will take. And he's like, I cannot. What about Jason, my buddy? I knew him for like, you know, three chapters of the book. <laughs> he was my most important friend. <laughs> I mean, that was like, you know, his, that was his, uh, it solidified his, uh, 
his stake. <laughs> I, I don't know what words are today. It like no. solidified his his stake in the battle or in yeah. this war. Like that was his his tipping point into being invested. Like now it's personal. Yeah. So basically he thinks about it in that way. He's really tired of using people and he's also grown attached to his weird Shakespearean arrow. He's like, we've been, the stick, he's been through a lot. He's thinking about how far that stick has been with him since the, the end of the first book. Like he's grown attached to it. He has conversations with it. It's kind of funny sometimes, I guess. The arrow tells him that Apollo will file, but Apollo will also rise again. Python comes within range, and Apollo takes this chance to stab the snake lizard thing in the eye. He drops Apollo, who has definitely broken his ribs, and he falls to the ground. Python roars with pain and anger. Apollo, however, is angrier. He was forced to use one of his friends, the stick, and he can sense that the arrow's consciousness has is gone now. It's just a stick in Python's eye. With godly strength that seems to be pouring out of him, he drags Python by his tail to a chasm that's just there, and they fall together down. So they fall all the way to Tartarus, fighting each other the whole way down. Every time Python tries to grow his little weird <laughs> bat wings, Apollo breaks them off. Um... Also, the Apollo notes that these wings are, like, really tiny, and they would not have been able to fly Python regardless. That's so funny. <laughs> Apollo once again being like, and he's ugly. Like, <laughs> he's so ugly. <laughs> they finally land, similarly to Annabeth and Percy, in the river sticks, and immediately kind of lose the will to fight. If we remember in um, House of Hades, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, Annabeth and Percy have to force themselves to pull get pulled out of the water or as they mm-hmm. were going to just drown and die. But Apollo chooses a different um, approach. They both hate each other so much they won't let the other succeed, so they still continue fighting each other. Python keeps trying to climb onto shore, but Apollo refuses to let him. Um, he uses the arrow of Dodonna's carcass at this point, the shaft still in the snake lizard's eye, to maneuver the giant lizard like a raft. He feels the goddess sticks laugh at him as they get washed through, but instead of completely losing hope, he holds on to his memory of Meg and his promise to return to her. They pass, they, they get like a speed round. Like if Annabeth and Percy had just floated in the river the whole time. Like a lazy river. Yeah, like they would have been like hopeless and not really human anymore, but they would have saved a lot of time. Because they passed. They could have like built a raft, you know. And just like sat on it. I know, no, they weren't thinking. They were too busy being in the monster (laughs) land. Idiots. I know. (laughs) They pass Tartarus' sleeping body, they go through mountains, and Apollo recognizes that he's no longer Apollo, but he's also no longer Lester. He's something that barely exists. He's like almost a caricaturized version of himself. They finally get to the edge of everything, to the brink of chaos. Apollo realizes that he's no longer even human. His skin has melted off, and he's actively watching his bones disintegrate as well. He looks like a drawing of an anatomy man, which is terrifying to picture. So he's just like very much taking it in as like, oh, look at that. He's like, oh, I'm kind of just like not real right See-through. now. Yeah. Oh. 
Python also now through the the getting dragged through the river and now getting sucked into chaos has shrunk to the size of a large crocodile instead of being like a mountain size. Apollo kind of wishes like this is a moment of reflection. They've made it to the end. Neither of them are going to make it out. And he was kind of wishes that this could be a moment where they both just kind of sit together and stare out into the abyss <laughs> and contemplate life. But Python is, his vengeance and his hatefulness is too strong. He's like, I'm still going to kill you no matter what. <laughs> so they continue to fight. Apollo shifts when Python tackles him and they both go over the brink. Apollo is able to kick Python off because he's holding on the edge and Python is holding onto his ankle and he manages to kick him off and the great snake is tossed to the soup of nothingness and everythingness. Apollo manages to hold onto the ledge but is unable to pull himself up. He hears a voice and realizes that the goddess Styx has come to watch him die. Nice. Chapter 35. Hanging with my peeps, hanging by my fingertips. It's the same, really. The goddess Styx takes this time to tell Apollo, I told you so. Apollo remembers the beginning, the first book, which I thought, and we all agree, was the stupidest decision Apollo could have made, was his oath. Like, remember how we, uh, earlier we were talking about, so Aaron and I have plans to hang out with each other in like an hour. Um, <laughs> what crazy people. <laughs> I know, we have to like commute and manage to grab this up and commute. Um, but... We're talking about maybe going ice skating. And Aaron said, I can't do it. I don't like to do it because I'm not good at it. And I yeah. don't like to do things if you're not immediately great at it. And Apollo feels, felt the same way. So he swore that oath of not ever going to play music or hold a bow or arrow again because he's not as good as he was when he was a god. And he broke it immediately because it was a stupid oath to make. <laughs> so dumb. We were like, this is the stupidest thing he's done. Still came back to bite him. Yep. So he's waiting for the goddess to kick him over the ledge or pry his fingers because this would be the ultimate act of vengeance, which he thinks that she's been waiting for, for breaking his oath. But she just kind of continues to stand there and talk. She asks if he's learned, and Apollo realizes the goddess is not mad at him. He's characterized her all wrong. She has not been punishing him, but instead had just been calling him out for his recklessness and the fact that he's, he is his own biggest enemy. So every time he failed, he was like, this is because I broke the oath. And she's like, no, you're just dumb, bro. Like, that's <laughs> all she was trying to show him. He was just able to blame it on the curse rather than the truth. He is the problem. So he mm. understands all of that now, that he was the only reason he couldn't do things perfectly. As he And he, him getting better at it was not because his godly powers was returning, but because he had practice with his mortal body and being immortal again rather than immediately being good at something and he's like oh now i understand as i'm dying and being sucked into nothingness mm -hmm. she asks him to hold on and apollo thinks about how he's actually okay with becoming nothingness he saved the people he's loved he's righted as many wrongs as he could in the six months that he was human he's learned a lot he's grown a lot he defeated python he defeated nero and his family will survive without him he saw that in the live stream dream thing he had of how the olympians were kind of like a bit detached when they were talking about yeah. him watching him suffer so he's like they'll be fine but he can't let go. He can't let go of his promise to see Meg again, so he continues to hold on. 
He can't tell if he's dreaming or if it's real, but he feels himself pull himself up from the edge, and then he wakes up. Apollo wakes up as Apollo, beautiful and a god again. He doesn't have a single scar on his body. He's ripped, he's bronzed, he's beautiful. Artemis is leaning over him, happy to see him. Apollo holds her tight and bursts into tears, which is very ungodly of him, and Artemis is very (laughs) uncomfortable. They are not affectionate people. No. Apollo is lying on a Greek chase in Olympus. He examines his perfect body, and he finds that he's missing his scars and bruises. He feels like he worked hard to earn those. Those were evidence that he had lived a life and everything that had happened to him and how he had grown as a person and they're all erased now. Now he's perfect again and he feels like his body doesn't belong to him. He has intense body dysmorphia because he Mm -hmm. started feeling really comfortable in Lester's body. Artemis tells him that it's been two weeks since he defeated Python and everyone, you know, in... On, not on Olympus, had been told that he had succeeded. They're not wondering if he had died. They know that he succeeded and that he's become a god again. So no one's worried about him. Apollo's not used to having his powers back, so he makes Artemis make clothes appear on his body. He feels like a complete imposter. He doesn't feel like Apollo, but he also doesn't feel like Lester anymore either. Artemis tells him that others are waiting for him in the throne room and asks if he's ready. He remembers his vision while fighting Nero, his siblings watching him struggle and placing bets. He doesn't feel like he has anything to say to them, and he definitely does not feel like he belongs with them or like he's one of them. He asks Artemis to give him a moment. Apollo thinks about Daphne and Hyacinthus and how he so carelessly hurt them. He doesn't want to be in Olympus. He doesn't feel like it's his home. He wants to see his children again. He wants to see Meg. He wants to be with people who actually care about him and who care about others and care about protecting the world around them instead of these buffoons he calls a family. (laughs) But he also understands that the world of demigods have never been his place. He can't interfere. He doesn't belong there. He had been privileged to be able to experience it and he knows he's going to remember it forever. But he is a god, so he plans to go visit all of his family, but first he has to go to the throne room and face the rest of his family. Alright, so I loved this. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good epic, like proper final beast and then Artemis, and Artemis Apollo being a god. You're going to have like a godly, like he's fist fighting and wrestling with the snake yeah. for days. Like it's something that would be in a Greek like myth book. Percy yeah. can't it, do that because you'd kind of been like, okay, and then when does he pee? When does he take a potty break? Like, it <laughs> yeah. It's just not realistic. Eat? Yeah. That's a stretch before he goes back in for another round. <laughs> Well, also, I love the refusal for, like, like letting go. He understands mm. that he has all the reasons to be at peace and die. But there's still something propelling him forward. And I feel like that's very human of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that the goddess sticks in the end wasn't vengeful. Like, we were waiting this whole... I mean, I was. You knew what the ending was. Fuck you. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> I was waiting this, these last five books to see what would be the final thing like how she would she get her secret little because in all myths it always comes back to bite them right there's like Mm -hmm. the oath you broke way back when you've forgotten about it you thought you made your peace and then you you know fall through the earth one day and it's like aha i got you Mm -hmm. but i liked that it was just kind of like hey 
I actually was taking my vengeance off this entire time by just letting you be yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, you were learning the lessons on your own. <laughs> like, um, I wish that this end part was longer. I wish, like, the Python scene was perfect length, but this part of Apollo becoming a god again, realizing, going and talking to his siblings. And there's only three, what, three, four chapters left? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's so, yeah, there's so much to cover and it's not going to be, it's going to be more of like a, oh, we're wrapping things up with campers and Apollo and stuff like that, but not in the sense that I want it. Like I want to see that change being enacted. I want almost that promise of Apollo is going to be different now because of the things he's experienced, but it's just going to be Apollo being like, I'm different. I promise. I'm like, are you, are you still chasing dryads? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. How long does that change last for? Yeah. I know. I knew it. Also, I knew he would stay a god. Like, Did you? Crazy. Did you? <laughs> I was so confident. Quite a few times you were like, he's going to be a human. I know it. I, I know it. No. Yeah, I knew the whole time. I was so confident. Mm, I knew everything yeah. that happened in this book. I was, mm-hmm. I predicted everything. <laughs> Nothing surprised Nailed it. me. Nailed it. Nailed it. No <laughs> surprises. You actually knew Jason would die the whole time. Yes, that's like why I acted very normally. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> As a very normal reaction to his yeah. death. Mm-hmm. It was not shocking. <laughs> All right, ready for some lightning bolt question? Yeah. We're over like the big climax of the book, I think. Oh. <laughs> All right, I'm so ready. What's your question, Manasa? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so to be be fair, I wrote this last night at like one o'clock in the Hmm. night. So um, I I couldn't think of anything. So this was supposed to be a placeholder question and then I forgot to come back to it. Have you ever like drowned? (laughs) No. Even like a little bit? Like you've never drowned a little bit? No. (laughs) You fight. Clearly you have. Several times. (laughs) You're like, is this not a common experience? Okay. I guess the reason I was thinking about this is during Python and um Apollo's fight in the river it reminded me of which I meant to actually add in my notes and I forgot but um I was on swim team in high school and we Mm -hmm. played the we played sharks and minnows yeah um, yeah but like swim version which is like you're trying to get across the other way and the sharks I thought about this like I had an out-of-body experience when I was thinking about this as an adult where I was like they let us do what like basically the sharks um that in order to turn you into a shark or catch you as a minnow, they'd have to hold you under the water for at least, I think, five to ten seconds. Like, completely grab you, either grab you by your ankles or your hands and hold you under, like, make sure your head is completely submerged and hold you there. Mm -hmm. Like, you can fight back and you can try to resurface, but if they can hold you there for a while, you turn into a minnow, I mean, a shark. A shark, yeah. And so um, that game was really hard for me because uh, all of the the sharks were always the state swimmers, like the girls who were really, really good at swimming because it made it more of a challenge. But those girls were also my friends who I was carpooling with. And so they would always come after me as a group. And so it'd be one on each leg. So yes, I have drowned many times. 
Is that crazy? Have you ever had like an experience where you've like, no. like individually like a moment where you're like, oh, this is the end? No, I don't think so. I huh. swam a lot as a kid. I did like swim lessons and swim team when I was little, but uh, no, I don't think I have. I've had like strangers rescue me from pools. I haven't but, lived. Clearly drowning. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I think it's the well, lack of fear. What is this, this lightning bolt question to put on Instagram? <laughs> have you drowned? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'll think of another one. I think no, you, you asked common. Your... I want to know if this is a common experience for people. Because I have not had it, but I'm so glad that you have <laughs> shared that. Not that you drowned. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask other people. Okay. I feel like everyone has like a story where they like haven't been kind of like had a dangerous situation in water. I saw this TikTok the other day where it was like POV your one friend that when there's a moment of silence asks the most absurd question (laughs) and that's what it is. Like you're gonna be asking people like, have you ever drowned? (laughs) It's okay. That's my role normally is asking the absurd questions. So. So. Yeah, really lighthearted yeah. conversation. Yeah. We'll see you at dinner in an hour. I'll yeah. ask you then. I'll be like, okay, everyone, who here is drowned? Yeah, raise your hand. Raise your hand, survey. Yeah. Okay, my question is if you could, so you know how he has like a fasces, which I think is a dumb object, like two axes is where like all yeah. his power is. So if you could place all of your power into an object, what object would you choose? A New York City subway rat. That's not a... What if it would die? No, they don't die. That's the whole point. It's not an o- object. <laughs> oh. I was like, what is the most indestructible thing I could think of? A rat? A New York City A rat. New York City subway rat. Those things are size That's of small fair. dogs. Um, mm-hmm. I guess object... Oh. What object would I... I I get the appeal of making it a weapon of some sort, like a dagger or Mm -hmm. something like that. But I want it to be. Use it, yeah. Yeah, but you also want it to be something that, like, this is like essential. This is a horcrux, right? Essentially, that's what I think. It sounds like a horcrux because it makes him feel worse when he wears it, or wears it. Yeah, doesn't wear the axe when he holds it, (laughs) and like makes him bleed. Yeah. I think earrings would be kind of fun. Like jewelry that you I was thinking jewelry. I was honestly yeah. like a little necklace because I would want it to be something I keep on my person. I think it's stupid yeah. to keep it not on me if it was like my power. Plus, if I wore it, would I become more powerful? Because like yeah, Apollo feels like it's sucking the power from him when he's holding it. But that's because it's Nero. I'd imagine if Nero has it. It would make him more powerful, but it doesn't in this scene. He just fails to break it, so yeah. or he fails to like be able to take it back. But I think I'd want to keep it like on my person because I wouldn't want someone. I'd want to know where it was, kind of like Frank and his stick. I'd want to know where it was at all times. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, like a little, a cute little necklace would be fun. Yeah, earring, something funky. Yeah, and I'm like, if it's my own power, my own soul. I think it wouldn't act like a horcrux because it's my own self. Then again, I do torment myself. <laughs> <laughs> so it it's just like psych- 
Well, that wouldn't make any sense. I feel like it would just actually make you feel normal. Because, like, oh. the whole thing is it sucks power from you to put it into that. But that's giving you power, right? Mm. So I think you'd just be, like, this, like, feedback loop of feeling normal. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna go make a Foshies object. I don't know, man. Necklace. A friendship a necklace. necklace? A friendship oh, bracelet. It says, like, so Aaron's Foshies on it. <laughs> <laughs> Someone raised it at feces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, what? Okay, <laughs> yeah. the other question is, what kind of giant reptile do you think would be the hardest to fight? Because he changes forms. He's many reptiles. Yeah. Um, I think the lizard. I think having legs immediately oh. makes um, a creature. Like, it's like it has the tail part, so it can yes. do what it wants with its tail, but it also has legs, so it can scurry around. Mm-hmm. So I think a lizard would be pretty hard to fight. Yeah, and it's like, like giant. A giant one. Yeah. yeah. I was saying, like, like a- what? You climb up a wall, and what is it going to do? <laughs> Just like sits there. It just waits for you and you get on a chair and it's just like, oh man, come on. It's trying to like climb up the chair. It has to wrap itself around. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Takes some time. Do, snakes do climb trees though. So actually. Yeah, they can like wrap themselves around. Yeah. But I guess like a, but how would you climb up a wall? Getting <laughs> <laughs> up there. See, I have thumbs. I can do anything oh. I wish I want to do. It's true. I was thinking like a crocodile, even a normal sized crocodile. Oh, I would not be able true. to fight. They're scary. They eat people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I personally could fight a normal sized crocodile. No, so like either. A, even like a little bit larger than normal crocodile would be even scary. That would be scary, I think. Yeah, they're scary. Their jaws, mm, intense. Yeah, they can also swim. They're also fucking fast. They can they can climb trees too, right? And I don't know why I'm in aren't a tree kind of, situation. Aren't they kind of mean? Like crocodiles? Yeah, alligators are supposed to be more docile. I mean, compared don't they to like crocodiles. Yeah, I mean, crocodiles are one. known for being ruthless and merciless because they are programmed to eat. They really like killing. I think. We surveyed one? No. <laughs> Googled it. <laughs> well, I was basing this off what of an animal's book. Killing, sir? One of the animal's book, they turn into a crocodile. And actually, she's allergic to the morph. And accidentally keeps morphing into it in public locations. Because she gets an allergy. Okay. <laughs> remember them talking in that book about how crocodiles have like a really intense like prey drive and uh according to google they do really like to eat things so don't we all mm-hmm. well Anyways. next week <laughs> we're gonna be back with our final chapters 36 through 39 of the tower of nero which are our last chapters of not only the book but the series as a whole oh. That's so sad and weird. I know. Weird, weird, weird. Okay. I feel like we just started that. Well, if you are interested in supporting us, you can find us on Patreon. The link's in the episode description. There's also a link to send us an audio message as well. We'll have to do like a wrap up with the messages we've gotten, etc. Our social media is Camp Half Pod. Our email is camphalfpod at gmail.com. You can message us there. 
or email us if you want to join the Discord. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening to us. Bye-bye.